Hi, and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. Amen. This morning I'm going to preach from the book of Genesis. and I normally don't title, but today the title of my message is The Symmetry of Faith. The Symmetry of Faith. Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 23, and we'll go through verse 27. This, the setup here, this story, the context of it, is that God has blessed Abraham and his seeds and, you know, and the, the children that will come forth from him. And this continues on to Abraham and then Isaac. And Isaac, who now will have a family, he'll have two sons named Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. He was hairy like a garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out and took hold of Esau's heel. So they named him, the name he was called was Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in the tents. Amen. That's our, that, that, that'll be our first text verse today. So we pray in Jesus' name, God, that you will illuminate us to the purpose that you have here today. We believe that your Holy Spirit um, we'll never go against your written word and the revelation, but it will highlight it, it will accentuate it, and it will bring it to life in our lives, in our church, in our world. And we bless it in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 27 again says, So the boys grew, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in the tents. I want to preach to you a little bit and just remind some of you, and for those of you who maybe not read through this passage before, that this is an interesting story arc. A prophecy has been given that God will reverse the roles of the eldest and the youngest. Now, as the story continues, Jacob will choose to negotiate and sharply deal with his brother to bring to pass the purpose that he has. Jacob will choose to negotiate and deal sharply with the hungry brother for what he thinks God has promised him by trading a bowl of stew. You remember the story, uh, the stew is traded. Uh, Esau will come home from the field, from the hunt, and having not got anything, and he will be starving, he will be hungry. He probably wasn't as starving as he really you know, acted like, uh, but you know, how many of you know that your appetite is a dangerous thing? Oh, it's a dangerous beast, right? I mean, it can change the way people act. It can change your outlook on your life. Hunger can change your outlook on your marriage in the moment, right? And then all of a sudden you get a bite to eat and things look a little better. You know, your husband looks a little better. He's not, he's not so irritating as he was before, you know, before we had a bite to eat, right? Our children are that way. That's the first thing that you go to. Like, why are they acting like the devil right now? Have they been changed? Have they been fed? And a lot of times those two things uh, will, will kind of simmer the situation down. So Esau is hungry. He's very hungry. He's been out on a long journey and has had no food, right? 
And so Jacob, seeking to bring about God's plan in his life, will deal sharply and take advantage of someone else's hunger. Right? And then he will trade his birthright for a bowl of soup, for a bowl of stew, lentils. And the word there is, he, after, after that passage, it ends it by saying, Esau despised his birthright. Now, when I read that as a child, I said, well, he just hated it. He didn't want it in the first place. That's not what the word means. It means that, uh, that he valued something small, something temporal, something temporary. He valued that over the, the, the real value of his birthright. That's what it is to despise your birthright. It means that you chose something worse instead of it, something temporary. So you remember that part, right? See, that decision kind of works out well for Jacob. Seems like he gets away with kind of acting out, acting in an unbiblical way, and you know, just kind of being sneaky. He's trying to supplant. He's trying to work his way into what he feels like God has called him and created him to do, trying to achieve his own promise. And it will lead to what happens in Genesis 27, 1 through 10. And this is the theft of the blessing of the firstborn. He goes from sharp dealing and, and taking advantage and, and, and just kind of being, uh, you know, pretty just kind of, kind of mean and, uh, and, and, and harsh. He goes from that, he goes from mild to being harsh in his dealings with his brother. And, and so then he, it's not a huge step from there to out and out lies and deception. Because whenever we're lying and whenever we're deceiving for the right reason, because we're trying to bring what we're trying to do, what we're supposed to do, we're trying to be who we're supposed to be, then it's easy to start breaking our own rules, and then we break God's rules. But it's okay because we're doing that for the right reason, and we're above the law, right? Well, that's what happens. Now, finally, after he steals the blessing of the firstborn, he immediately realized this was not a good deal. This was not, this, if this is the blessing, then who cares? Because he has to run, you know, and, and light a shuck, as they say, and get out of town because Esau is coming after him to kill him. His father's angry. His mother is despondent because now the boy that she tried to bless is now the boy she'll never see again uh, because they brought it together in the wrong way. And he is running, right? You remember that? After all this pain, loss, and betrayal, injury, humiliation, Jacob will come back and be at the mercy of Esau. But on the night before all this, his sins catch up with him. He will wrestle with God until God changes him forever through pain and suffering. And it will bring him back into the man he once was and should have been all along. God will do this by wounding him so severely in his hip that for once in his life, running away is no longer an option. He finally puts... Jacob will finally put his future into God's hands where it should have been all along. How many of you know that story? Now I want to tell you the rest of it today. I'll tell you the rest of it. Maybe something you don't know about Jacob. Jacob, up until the point where he decided to take things out of God's hands and put it in his and supplant and to take he was a perfect man. Really? A perfect man? Well, the Bible describes him as, per, as mild in that script, passage of Scripture, right? Mild. But I submit to you that he was a perfect, upright, complete, and undefiled man. 
He was who God really wanted him to be. He was the one God had reserved and chosen. He wasn't always the grabber. He wasn't always the usurper. He wasn't always just a scoundrel. Our text verse, verse 27, describes him as a mild man. Now, when I heard mild man, I thought weak and soft. Yeah? Right, don't you? Mama's boy. That, that, that's, that's my thought. Is, and is that how you've read it before? Yeah. You got Esau, who's you know, just aggressively hairy. <laughs> you know, enough to make it into the Bible. You know, just covered in hair as a baby. Right? Because you've got you to know, like, if you've got one line to write about somebody, and it's hairy, I submit to you that's a lot of hair. Right? He didn't say tall. Yeah, this dude was hairy. And then the, he goes on to talk about, and Jacob is described as mild. I don't know why exactly, you know, that, that, that's the word that, you know, we get translated from the, you know, from the Hebrew word there. And I'm not going to do the thing where we reinvent the wheel, but I want you to know this. You know, mild. What's, what, what, what do you think of when you think of mild? Quiet. Quiet? See, I'm looking for a Derek uh, Haddix, but he's out having a smoke break, so no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of the time whenever we thought he was having a heart attack. Maybe it's better that he's gone. Because he, oh, the whole family was tore up. He's having a heart attack. You remember this? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we, we were going to lose him. Yeah. No, I will not stop because he didn't stop drinking jalapeno sauce from the bottle. Like you would water. Right? Just, you know, he, he, eventually he got so into his hot sauce, because he loves hot stuff. He got so into his hot sauce that the chips fell by the wayside. And he just went to the source and was chugging a jalapeno, a self-concocted, so Lord knows what he put in it a self-concocted jalapeno sauce and then a day later he's like i don't know what's going on what's going on this is crazy it's out of pocket like I must be having a heart attack this what have i done you know what's going you know couldn't be the 64 ounces of concentrated jalapeno that you imbibed aggressively so finally i don't know how we figured it out but we're like oh do you think that could have been it a little heartburn Oh, so I know, I know him well enough to know that whenever you say mild, he say yuck. You know, give me the good stuff. Give me, give me 64 ounces of jalapeno. Like, I don't like mild. Mild is ugh. See, if you say mild to me, I say, that's right. You know, that's how I want my wings. That's how I want my, you know, my salsa, you know. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, that's how I am. And I don't care. I, have, I don't care. I have no problem with that. Mayonnaise sometimes has a little bite. If you're me. Watch it sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Mm, Need a little something to wash that down with. Yeah, I, that's that's how I'm wired, dude. And Derek is not. So when we think of mild, he thinks of that. I don't know what you think of, but the word is Tom. Now you would say the T W M, right? So or T O W M, uh, Tom. That's that's kind of the closest you get in the Hebrew, but it's not the only place used in the Scripture for that. So when it says Jacob was a mild man. It sounds like he was lame. He sounds as lame as my hot wings. But that's not what it means, really. Not in the full context. In 14 different places in the scripture, this word is used. 
In Exodus 26 and 24, the word is translated as complete. Oh. So it's not mama's boy. It's there's something else here. He was complete. That's how it's translated. In Job, I think eight or nine times, it's the word used to talk about Job's perfection and uprightness. Tom, or Tomon, he is, the Bible says, you know, in Job 1 and 8, in Job 1 and 1, in Job countless times, like I think eight times, it's talking about this man, it's talking about how Job is a, is a perfect man, there's nobody like him. He's doing the right things, and so much so that, that, that God kind of has him on his pedestal, you know, he's made the, you know, he's made the, you know, the top ten, you know, he's, he's at the top of the list. He said, have you ever considered my servant Job? Nobody like him in the whole world. He loves me, he fears God, he operates fairly, and and with honesty and rectitude, Job is the real one. And I'm telling you that I don't have another servant like him. You'll find no fault in him. He is Tom. He's upright. He's perfect. Had you any idea that that's the word used to describe Jacob before he goes his own way? This guy is not a joke. This guy is not always the grabber. He's not always the scoundrel. He's not always so, so self-indulgent and self-considering. He, he, he's, he's a fair guy. He's, he's a guy that loves righteousness. He's, he loves the Lord. And he does right before the Lord. So many times we think that that, that, that identity of what people do is who they really are or how they start. But he wasn't always thus. Matter of fact, in Proverbs, the same Hebrew word will be used in 29.10, Proverbs 29.10, and say, the upright, the blessed. And Song of Solomon, two times it's mentioned. It's used, this word. And both times, you know what it is? It's undefiled. It's Solomon explaining the, per the perfect beauty of his love, undefiled, unmarked by the world, unmarked by sin. That's who he was before he took things in his own hands. It's amazing. So mild wasn't soft. Mild was strong. It was strong of character. It was strong in the Lord. It was strong in the purposes of his might. It, it, it takes a lot more to be mild, to be what he was, than it was to be hairy. <laughs> right? You ever think about that? Who's really stronger there? One guy, it's, you know, he's, he's naturally good at some athletic things, and, and he's covered in hair, but the other guy was covered in grace. He, he, was, he was full of, of, of righteousness and, and goodness. But it wasn't enough. Jacob wanted to move forward into blessings and into better things. But Jacob didn't realize that the character in him that he could control was more important to his story than the hands of blessing on him that he couldn't. For those of you who didn't pick up on that, Jacob did not realize that the character in him that he could control was more important than the hands of blessing of his father that would be on him that he couldn't control. So he lies. He usurps. He goes from being the perfect man into the pursued man. He's pursued by Esau. 
a lifetime of near death and escape and exile he faces. He's pursued by Laban, his uncle, when he tries to leave. He's then pursued by Esau again, a second time, and now there's nowhere left to run. God finally has to essentially break his leg to force him to face his issues. Because if you don't know, it's hard to outrun your problems on one leg. God understood this. Although some of us may be trying that even now. You may still be trying to outrun what God's trying to do in your life. Even now. Even now with a broken leg. Even now with a broken heart. Even now. Everything falling apart. We still are not looking full into the face of God and submitting to his word, to his will, to his character. And it's time for a reckoning. Yeah, he was the perfect man, but the perfect man changed into the pursued man. And the reckoning happens whenever he faces Esau, finally relents and submits and says, you know, everything, like, I don't want what I stole anymore. I don't, I, I, I don't know why I did all this. I was trying to make a thing happen. I was trying to be who I was supposed to be. I was trying to, trying to, to, to push myself to the front of the line, and it's led to nothing but problems and pain and hurt and betrayal. Me and Laban had fallings out, and I, he, I thought he was going to kill me, and he pursued my family like we had problems in the family. I, I, I lost my relationship with my brother. I lost my relationship with my mother and my father. I left and now they're both dead and gone and I'll never see them again all because I had to push myself forward. I don't know why I did this. And he comes to him and he says, but I'm done running. I'm in your power, whatever. And the funny thing is Esau says, no, you're good. Throws his arms around him, loves him. Amazing. But now I want to tell you the part that you don't know. I'm going to take you to a crazy moment in Genesis 48. Crazy moment. Verse 14 says, Then Israel, and that's Jacob, Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be upon them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. But something happened at that juncture. Because the reckoning went well. There was forgiveness and restoration. Jacob gets to breathe his first free breath in over 20 years. But the story doesn't end there. For Jacob, it ends many, many years later on a sickbed in Egypt with his two grandsons gathered around him. That's when he becomes the prophetic man. The perfect man has fallen apart and become the pursued man, but the pursued man now with the lens of eternity, with the, with the understanding and the unction of the Holy Spirit on him in this sickbed, he becomes the prophetic man and sees what he should have seen a long time ago. In a moment, Jacob realizes that he's back to where it all started. A blind father is praying over two sons and giving the blessing of the firstborn to the secondborn. 
That's the symmetry of faith. That's the symmetry of submission. I wonder if through those cloudy, blinded eyes, he wept. I wonder if he thought to himself, it was never my prerogative or necessary for me to take, to do that all along. You could have just fulfilled your will as you promised. Can you imagine? He said, all the pain, all the suffering, all of the loss and betrayal that I've faced in my life, all the hardest things that have ever happened to me happened because the moment that is happening right now with Manasseh and Ephraim, I was unable to see that you were able to bring that together in your own strength, in your own godly way, that you could have told my father to switch the hands and then you could have fulfilled your will. So I didn't need to fulfill your will. I just needed to be obedient to your will. He said, why? Why didn't I see this? Here it is almost a hundred years later. All the, my, I broke my leg and I broke my heart and I broke my family and I broke my blessing and I broke my life. Why? Because all along you were the one who was going to bring it to pass. All along you didn't need my help to establish me in the things you had created me to do. All along I could have just trusted you. I could have just walked with you. I could have just submitted to you and it would have all been perfect. It wouldn't have been on me. It would have been on you. Some of us maybe here today, we're trying to make things happen. We're trying to, to move the ball forward, but, but now the pressure's all on us and we're wondering why it's crushing us under the weight. Because the pressure of God bringing forth the things in your life that he has called forth, prophesied and blessed and promised that pressure's on him. All you gotta do is trust him. And in his time, in his season, in his good way, he will bring forth everything that is purposed and everything that is promised in Jesus' name. God was always gonna do what he wanted. Jacob spent the best part of his life trying to usurp in lies what God wanted to give in love. Now, this is my humble opinion as I just extrapolate from this story and from the story arc that some of you never knew was there. In my humble opinion, God would have done the same thing between Jacob and Esau that he ended up doing over Manasseh and Ephraim because God is not a man who he should lie. He would have brought it forth in his time and in his way. And so now, as we close, I wanna ask you, maybe you're at a different stage, maybe you're at the place where you're walking right you're mild, you're upright, you're doing the things right, but you're wondering, should I step out? Should I kind of get the ball rolling here? Should I launch into things that I think are supposed to be mine, but I'm not sure if God wants me to usurp, well, God's wanting me to push, God want, I, I just kind of need to bring it together, I need to make things happen, right? Do you believe and trust in God to do what he said? because he will. Do you believe in God to accomplish his word and his will in your life?
Do you believe in him? Do you need to repent for taking things into your own hands, into your own operation, or an operation of pride and control in your life? Do you need to realign your heart today? Do you need to choose to trust God in faith today? Knowing that he will bring things together. That's a, that's a hard message. It's a tough message. It's a, it's a humbling message. But those are the ones that can bring us closer to God. I want every head bowed and every eye closed here today. Yeah, I'm going to ask. Yeah, I felt the Holy Spirit as I wrestled all night with this word from God. I wrestled all night before the Lord. And I can guarantee you that there are those here. need to realign their heart posture before the Lord. Need to let go of control, let go of that spirit that changes a perfect man into a pursued man. Maybe you're here today and you're tired of running. You've had situation after situation after situation. It always ends the same way because you can't get yourself into alignment could be your job, could be your family, could be your marriage, could be your church, could be anything. But you say, today, if it cost me my leg, if it cost me the ability to run, God, I'm done with that. I'm coming into alignment with your purposes, and I want you to bring them forth in Jesus' name.